the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour show. Rudyard Kipling wrote, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you will be a man. Wilford Riley is such a man. He is a professor at the university, excuse me, at Kentucky State University, the author of several important books, The Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War, Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and he's a magnificent um, presence on Twitter. You can follow him at will underscore duh underscore beast 630. Professor, thanks for joining us. It's been too long. I hope you're well. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Always <laughs> good to be back on. Good. Thank you, sir. I just want to talk to you about two small things, if I can, COVID and CRT. Um, you've been tweeting wonderfully on those. Let's start with critical race theory. Um, because you've you've seized on something I've noticed a lot. You said a pet peeve of yours is is lying to Kia in the in the in in, in someone's full gate. Um, when people say CRT is just teaching honest history, uh, when they say um, if it's not just honest history, it's actually not being taught at all in our high schools. This is something that you just see in um, some elite law schools. I, I feel a snow job, uh, Professor Riley, because I have seen enough evidence to know that my eyes aren't lying. This stuff is being taught in our schools, and it's not just about honest history. Your take. Yeah, I, I think you're correct. When people say things like that, they're simply lying. It's that simple. Uh, Takiya, I'm, I'm not a religious bigot in any real sense, but one of the things that distinguishes uh, specifically the Shia version of Islam, if I call this correctly, from, say, Catholicism, Protestant Christianity, is that it's considered fully acceptable when you're surrounded by enemies to lie about your religion. I'm sure we'd all be tempted to do this. This is actually a principle of faith mm-hmm. in certain branches of certain religions. Good it's point. called taqiyya, mm-hmm. structured, competitive lying. And I think that when we look at politics in the USA, very often what we're seeing is taqiyya. When you see someone who, in, I'd actually like to get this word into common Yeah, let's use do it. I, I'm with you. I, I'm PM. tracking you well. Keep going. Yeah, good. Taqiyya. But anyway, um, but when someone says, when someone who's, whose Twitter handle includes the phrase Russian state media <laughs> is saying, no, no, our great countries are not rivals, that person, it may be hard for us to adjust to this as middle-class American citizens, but they're simply lying. Uh, when someone says, you know, I'm, I'm not in the alt-right at all, despite this frog profile picture, I'm just interested in human diversity. <laughs> They're lying. <laughs> and we see this more often, <laughs> to swing back to the real sure. part of this, extent, we see this more often, not that any of those are good, we see this more <laughs> often on the political left. Right. So when people say things like, no, 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 critical race theory is taught only at a few elite law schools, they're leaving out the fact that critical educational theory feminist theory, Afrocentrist theory, 1619 history, things that are 99.9% the same if you're playing Scrabble are taught in every high school and college in at least the blue cities in this country. So if you point this out and someone denies it and says, no, all those are very different and we need to go offline and 
discussed this at seminar length, they're just lying. The goal is to continue to teach what's being taught while confusing parents who object to it. So it's, it, Americans seem to have, American taxpayers seem to have trouble with this. This idea that someone is simply telling the opposite of the truth, that's very often what's happening. It's, it's an interesting secondary point you're making. Maybe you're not making it, but I'm hearing it, and you tell me if I'm, if I'm sure. picking up on it. But there's an interesting secondary point about what Americans are uncomfortable with. They, they, are, they, they are not used to lying, or at least they say they don't like it. Let's, let's, let's at least say that. Americans don't like to be lied to, whether it's their government. This was, of course, one of the principles behind a free press, right? Um, equally true in that use of that unique word, takia, Americans – I'm going back now, obviously, about 20 years, but, you know, 10 as well. Americans don't like talking about religion either very much. They just they're, – they're uncomfortable. It's something in polite society, right? Politics, religion. All that seems to be gone if it's a certain protected class, though. If it's only a certain religion, we can't talk about it. You want to rail on Christianity and Judaism, you go right ahead and we'll elect congressmen who can do it even better than the worst bigot, right? If you want to – if you want to uh, – if you want to rail on a certain class of human being in this society, it depends on their race too now, it seems like. We do seem to have this – what you say, you're right. Uh, these these conditions, we don't like to talk about religion. We don't accept lying, or at least we don't think of people as liars naturally. But, you know, we do protect it where it suits our political interests. I think we've been lied to on masks, COVID, and vaccines for a long time, Professor Riley. I think that's hard for a lot of Americans to understand. Yeah, I think that, and that'll be kind of the next topic we move into. I'd probably agree with it, at least two out of the three of those. But I, I think the core point there is, if you take the ordinary kind of semi-rural until 1970 American, with a job like ironworking, coaching, anything along those lines, any traditional American field, everyone BSs sometimes. Mm-hmm. The fish was always 28 inches long, whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the default assumption of most Americans most of the time was that people would not simply shake your hand, look in your eyes, and lie to you. And this has actually put the American middle class at an extraordinary disadvantage when it comes to dealing with foreign opponents, when it comes to dealing with radical activists that have read Saul Alinsky, when it comes to dealing with, let's be real, corporate America, big business. So very, very often we see these confident people on television saying things like, no, no, you stupid rubes are misunderstanding what, what CRT even is. What would I look at you and lie? That's actually a question I've seen four or five times at these school board meetings. And the answer is yes, because I think to kids, you're a true believer. You think that whatever you're backing, a total moratorium on immigration on the alt-right or the CRT nonsense on the left, is the way, the truth, and the light. And you are willing to completely deceive people to squeeze this through. And the CRT stuff has brought this to a level that I've never before seen, where people are saying there's no connection between, if you go to these school board meetings, there's no connection between critical pedagogy and critical theory. And a lot of sort of smart suburban moms are just sitting there like they have the same word in the title. Mm. So it's up to you whether you're going to believe this or not, but I'd I'd encourage you to take a lot of political speech with many grains of salt. (laughs) I always have to eat my Wheaties when I talk to you, Professor Raleigh, because you're so good and there's so much you say that uh, I'm trying to keep up with, but – because you, you put a you put a lot of smart stuff right in there, and I and I and I gotta ask you as the follow up because there's a third element to CRT that is to Kia lying. I think it's not just that it's 
something that belongs and exists only in elite and a handful of elite law schools. It's not just that it's people want an it's it's an effort to teach an honest version of American history. Both of those things can't yeah, be true one. at the same time, by the way. It's either in the schools or it isn't. But there's a third one, right? This third one is that uh, conservatives are afraid of teaching real American history, the complete American history. And I have to tell you, as someone who's spent a lot of time in history textbooks researching them, actually, we actually were doing a pretty good job of it, I think. Now, I mean, of course, every 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 group will have new evidence and new history that develops over time. But I, I really don't think our American history textbooks were trying to cover up things like the Civil War or 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 or, or other other tragedies to other racial minorities and or ethnic minorities in this country. I really don't think they were doing that bad of a job. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much the impression. And again, I'm I'm a male. I'm on at least the center right politically. I mean, I spent some time in Catholic schools, so I'm, I'm just one experience too. But yeah, I I certainly didn't get the impression that you know you thought. Reading through a textbook in the 1980s or 90s, you certainly would not have gotten the impression in Illinois or in Kentucky that slavery was good or that whites and Native Americans never killed one another right. or something like that. No, that's right. And this is, yeah, and I think this is an important point because everyone from the left to the right wants to teach about things like the civil rights movement in a history class. There's no way not to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't ignore the Vietnam War right. and right. nearly 100,000 of our, our boys and girls died. So there's no question about not discussing our one military defeat or something like that. The question is, what lens do you look at it from? And these phrases like honest history or proper history, that's another one I've been hearing, what those often mean is that until recently, we weren't teaching things the way I want them to be taught. In, In one sentence, really, the debate in the schools is about whether to move them from left to far left. Right. So... Most of the traditional textbooks that have been used, at least in the North, since the 1960s, were left-wing. Howard Zinn's included and cited approvingly so on. We're now thinking about moving from kind of mainstream Democratic Party, which we've all been putting up with, but that's what's in the schools, to 1619 Project, much more leftist curricula. But what's being lost in the shell game is that there never was a traditional conservative curriculum in the public right. schools. There hasn't right. been since the 1940s. Right. So it, it's not that we were teaching far right-wing lies. We were teaching a mainstream center-left position that's true on many issues, and they now want to move leftward of that to something less reliable. That's what proper history means. i got to take a quick commercial break. Can you stay one more segment so we can do a little bit of the COVID stuff, or do you have to run? You've been very generous. Uh, no, sure can. I can do oh, Wonderful, wonderful. By the way, as I'm going to break, I'll just mention this to your point. For decades and decades, basically from world, post-World War II America till roughly 1976, 77, 78, the major American, one of the most popular American textbooks was written by a man of the left, Henry Steele Commager, who William Buckley named as the problem in America when he founded National Review. What I wouldn't do for Henry Steele Commager's textbook again, that's what professor riley means when he says we've moved from left to far left he's professor riley i'm seth leaps and we'll be right back delighted to have uh, professor wilford riley with us he is the author of several important books amongst them hate crime hoax how the left is selling a fake race war and taboo 
10 facts you cannot talk about. You can't talk about. Professor Raleigh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, you had a wonderful uh, string on, uh, or thread, I guess. (laughs) It's too bad it's not a string. It's better than a thread, right? A string would be better than a thread. You had a wonderful thread on Twitter uh, asking, serious question, what exactly are vaccinated people afraid of as regards COVID-19? What were you getting at with that question? What were you getting at with your uh, presumptions? Yeah, so this actually came uh, from something that was fairly unofficial. I was, I was playing golf with my doctor and my physician. But we were talking about some of the incredible shifts in COVID messaging that for me as a data and messaging guy and for him as a doc, we'd been seeing. And, I mean, this goes all the way back to last year. If you remember, you know, 14 days to slow the spread, morphed into flatten the curve, morphed into crush the curve, morphed into just one life, morphed into stay home to save lives and so on. And we had both thought that actually made a friendly bet with two other friends that all this had to end when vaccines really entered kind of the atmosphere, when it was very easy to go out and get vaccinated. Although you could have said the same thing about antibody tests last year, but at any rate. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, think, right, 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 right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, once you could see for $20 whether someone had COVID, I mean, a lot of this panic, DeSantis said this openly, a lot of this panic should have died down. But that's with vaccines, right. let's say, mm-hmm. nobody thought that you'd be asked to mask when you were vaccinated. That's right. now the rule in most big city here in Louisville, certainly, uh, public buildings, that kind of thing. You're, you had the vaccine, which is a pretty painful procedure for a lot of people, two shots, and went on for three weeks. And now you're still supposed to wear a couple of masks. I'm personally, frankly, just not doing this. But this surprised a lot of people. And I started asking with the doctor linked and some other people on social media, what exactly is the worry here? And it would, I mean, tweet one was sort of, if you chose to get the vaccine, which I do think is a wise decision for all of its flaws, your risk of getting COVID serious enough to put you in the hospital is decreased by 94%. It wasn't that high anyway if you're a healthy individual. Um, so are, are you worried about getting yourself sick? Okay, well, what about getting someone else sick? First of all, your, your risk of transmitting the virus to someone once you've been vaccinated is down by more than two-thirds. Even with all these breakthroughs, everyone agrees on it. It's down about 68%. Okay. okay? Yep. And if you do pass the virus on to someone else, so what? They're vaccinated, or there's something like a healthy athlete that's chosen not to be vaccinated. Obviously, if someone has an immunocompromised grandmother, they need to invest the $29, get her at a 95 shot for her. But the vast majority of people you're seeing in a nightclub, you know, schnucks, a grocery store, something like that, are obviously not immunocompromised and can find a wheelchair. Right. You know, so if you cough on someone, they're either a vaccinated individual or an unvaccinated athlete. There's a very low risk. Well, what about the kids? We actually both did some digging into that and found that the total number of children under 18, by the way, this is something to remember when you see things like gang shooting statistics, child in the USA is defined as under 18, sometimes even under 21 for research purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about six-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But in the full category of under 18, the total number of people that die from COVID during the entire pandemic is around 400, mm-hmm. most of whom were severe asthmatic. Mm-hmm. So again, be careful around those kids, but masking the schools, we're doing that literally to prevent a death rate that's about half that of influenza. These are just facts. You know, okay, so and it, I just went through step by step with, again, some medical people linked, asking, what are people worried about? Is it the hospitals overloading? And this, this one was to sort of the doctors and the social scientists in my crowd. Are they overloading? People said no. Okay, what about new variants? Well, the issue there is if you are vaccinated, but there's still one-third the chance of a breakthrough, 
if, if you get sick, you're as likely, as far as I understand, to generate a variant as anyone unvaccinated. A variant is simply a new version of a disease that develops after your body heals from the disease. So we're never going to eliminate the risk of potential new variants. Also, what about countries like India, which are largely unvaccinated? The variants that we're getting aren't the North Carolina variant. They're coming from India, Colombia, other mighty countries. So a lot of this just doesn't make sense. I mean, what it amounts to is essentially making people in many business fields get this unpleasant procedure and then saying, here's your mask, put that back on. What's the logic of that? Again, I'm pro-vaccine for pure health reasons, keep your life safe, so on. But what kind of messaging is this coming from the business world? Do these guys know what they're doing? There, there are a lot of real questions here. I, I agree with you. And what bothers me the most is, of course, the effect on the children. I've been consumed or maybe even obsessed with this issue of masking children, never mind vaccinating them. But if I can just add one more stat to what you said about the death of children mm-hmm. from COVID pushing up against about the number 400. I've seen, you know, a couple different numbers, but it, it's generally agreed between 355 and 400 children under the age of 18 have uh, have died with COVID anyway. Um, one, one of the things that I find interesting about that, Professor Riley, and I just think it's worth saying, is more people have died with COVID after vaccination, in other words, breakthrough deaths, than all kids from COVID in a year and a half. I I just think that's worth mentioning. I'm not attributing it to the vaccine. I'm just talking about this obsession with trying to save adults by harming kids. And I just think it's upside down. I I think we are making a huge mistake by the pressure we're putting on our children to save unhealthy adults. I really do. I, I think that's a harsh but accurate way of describing a lot of this from okay. a of strategic science. No, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. From a strategic sort of science or business perspective, yes, of course, there's a lot of truth to that. One of the things that's so unique about COVID-19 is that we chose to shut down our entire society in a way that is harmful to kids, to protect unhealthy old people that had very often made poor health decisions. That's that's just a blunt summary of what we did. Sure. I mean, when we faced terrible diseases in the past, like that 1918 super flu, right. very often the people that were most vulnerable were the young kids. Right. I mean, if you, uh, my family is split between Ireland and Africa, and if you go back to either region, there are cemeteries where you see these little gravestones oh, yeah. in Northern Ireland. They'll oh, say, yeah. you know, Albion, oh. age four. Oh, it's yeah. horrible stuff. Yeah. That's what you try to avoid with a plague or with a famine. You'll do anything for that fight a war and save the kids. Here, you're talking about people that were on average age 81 that were dying of COVID-19. Yep. Like, that is a great tragedy. But at 81, 82, you have, to some extent, lived a full life. Um, more than 60% of these deaths in some states were concentrated specifically in nursing care homes. That's right. One piece of advice I would give is, if at all possible, my family's made decisions both ways, but try to keep your elders out of situations yep. like that, hospices and so yep. on. But that's that's what we were seeing. And instead of just saying that, like, we're going to face some deaths in the senior community, they'll be faced with honor, we'll provide yep. N95s to everyone we can reach, we instead said, we're going to shut down the schools, we're going to shut down the gyms, we're going to shut down the bars, oh, that's at least understandable, but we're going to do all of this to keep young people inside to protect, for example, individuals that are very overweight, yep. uh, individuals that are 85 years of age. You can defend that morally, but it's not a logical decision most past societies would have made. I think it's fair to say. 
Professor Riley, you're great. I'm so glad uh, that you're on my side or I'm on yours. <laughs> Author of Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War and Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About. Professor Riley, Godspeed. Have a great weekend. Thank you, sir. You too. Thank you for having me on. Thank Bye. you. Open lines Friday, 602 We're going to talk about the border at the top of the next hour with maybe the nation's best expert on all issues immigration, Mark Krikorian, head of the Center for Immigration Studies. Before we do that, let me put in a good word for our sponsor, Trades Unlimited, for all your roofing needs, repairs, inspections, replacements, you name it. The damage to your roof right now, especially given our weather, heat, wind, dust, rain, they bring daily challenges to your roof and over time cause significant damage, even damage you may not know about. If your roof is 15 years or older, the underlayment must be checked now. At 15 years old, the underlayment dries out, cracks, and then becomes susceptible to all sorts of leaks and gets worse with time. Maybe for some of you, it's time to consider a foam roof. For those who have a flat roof, the benefits of foam are insulation from heat, noise, and, of course, water leaks. If you already have a foam roof that's five years old or more, it's time to have it inspected and recoded because the brutal Arizona sun beats on it and the coating does start to get bubbles or holes. Before the leaks begin, give Trades Unlimited a call at 480 483 one seven seven five. That's four eight zero four eight three one seven seven five. Or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com. dot com. It's the it's the um, it's the company I use. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's um, an author and was is uh, a conservative author. And he was talking to someone in the industry who he wanted to represent him on this project, represented him before. And this uh, person in the industry, conservative, or used to be anyway, uh, said he can't do it. He can't do it because he has too many clients who support things like the 1619 Project and BLM. Um it put me in mind of something that's been used a lot when it comes to foreign policy, but I think it could be used when it comes to American individuals as well as American institutions that play this game. And I can tell you corporation after corporation plays this game, funneling, not funneling, giving legitimately above board and in the light of day millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars to Marxist organizations. It's a poem by Rudyard Kipling. It's called The Dane Guild. It's always a temptation to an armed and agile nation to call upon a neighbor and to say, we invaded you last night. We are quite prepared to fight unless you pay us cash to go away. I suppose one could think of the BLM saying things like that, and I don't mean the Bureau of Land Management. And that is called asking for Danegeld. And the people who ask it explain that you've only to pay them the Danegeld, 
and then you'll get rid of the Dane. It is always a temptation for a rich and lazy nation to puff and look important and to say, Though we know we should defeat you, we have not the time to meet you. We will therefore pay you cash to go away. It doesn't have to be a rich and lazy nation. It can be a rich and lazy corporation. And that is called paying the Dane Guild. But we've proved it again and again that if once you have paid him the Dane Guild, you never get rid of the Dane. It is wrong to put temptation in the path of any nation for fear they should succumb and go astray. So when you are requested to pay up or be molested, you will find it better policy to say, we never pay any Dangeld, no matter how trifling the cost. For the end of that game is oppression and shame, and the nation that pays it is lost. Oppression and shame. Oppression and shame. What has this country gotten for the tens of millions of dollars it has pumped into the Marxist's Marxist movements throughout the country, the most prominent of which is the Bureau, not the Bureau of Land Management, but Black Lives Matter, the organization BLM. Oppression and shame. We never pay anyone, Dangeld, no matter how trifling the cost for the end of that game is oppression and shame and the nation that pays it is lost. Are we lost? Are we lost? Let's pick up on that when we come back. I want to pick up on it with regard to schools education and education schools got an interesting email (laughs) someone liked my statement yesterday i would get rid of all the education schools i don't mean schools per se i mean graduate schools of education i'm seth leibson 602-508-0960 be right back Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, I didn't mean to turn this into uh, Poetry poetry Friday, but a friend of mine, a dear listener to the show, just uh, was listening to Rudyard Kipling and the uh, poem about the Dane Guild, corporations that I think sell out to BLM and other organizations that threaten them with protest unless they pay them money. And he sent me uh, another poem, Robert Service poem, The Reckoning. And he, um, and he said, uh, this is a poem for Bernie's budget. Uh, I, I know Robert Service. I know him well because he is the, um, he's the poet who did the cremation, wrote The Cremation of Sam McGee, audio of which we've played Ronald Reagan and Bill Bennett reciting in 1986. Uh, extemporaneously from the White House, uh, one of Ronald Reagan's favorite poems, Robert Service. Um, but would this be the right poem for Bernie's budget? Maybe it's just fine for Biden's budget. Uh, don't, 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 uh, don't shoot so uh, far to your left. You've, you've got it right there at 1600. It's fine to have a blowout in a fancy restaurant with terrapin and canvas back and all the wine you want to enjoy the flowers and music and watch the women pass. Smoke a choice cigar and sip the wealthy water in your glass. It's bullying a high-toned joint to eat and drink your fill, but it's quite another matter when you pay the bill. It's great to go out every night on fun or pleasure bent, to wear your glad rags always and to never save a cent, to drift along regardless, have a good time every trip, to hit the high spots sometimes and let your chances slip, to know you're acting foolish, yet go on fooling still, till nature calls a showdown and you pay the bill. Time has got a little bill. Get wise wise whilst you may. 
for the debt side's increasing in a most alarming way. The things you had no right to do, the things you should have done, they're all put down. It's up to you to pay for every one. So eat, drink, and be merry. Have a good time if you will, but God help you when the time comes and you have to foot the bill. Yeah, good poem for Bernie's or Biden's budget. Thank you for that, Steve. Um, I do want to return to Afghanistan and the situation there because I think it's going to be important for a cohesive conservative foreign policy to unite or bind up the wounds that exist within the conservative movement on foreign policy outlooks. Is it too much of a stretch to say this? Brandon Brandon uh, Weikert and I were talking about this on Monday, if you caught that interview or that show. But is it too, is it, is it too um, evasive to simply say that the neoconservative view of foreign policy had tremendous faults, tremendous problems, tremendously bad results in a lot of respects, not every, but a lot, but that it can be taken too far, our opposition to it, it can be taken too far. For example, the media were saying that Joe Biden in Afghanistan was only doing what Donald Trump had promised to do. Well, that's true up to a point. It's true up to a point. Donald Trump did talk a lot about getting us out of Afghanistan and drawing down our troops there. He certainly did. But the difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden is that Donald Trump didn't give us Saigon 2.0, and Joe Biden accelerated the withdrawal in the face of all recommendation and all fact on the ground, to the point where he lied to our face a month ago, saying it is highly unlikely the Taliban will take over every military expert on TV and elsewhere said otherwise. And why did he pick September? Why would he pick September as the date to have it completed? Was that a date the military or other advisors suggested? Or was that to comport with a celebration of being the hero and getting us out of the specter that was 9-11, September 11, 2001? If it was simply, and a great journalist, not even a great one, a good one would look into this. Why did he pick the month of September to have this complete? A good journalist would drill down and find out how September was landed upon would find out how September was landed upon. Do you recall when Donald Trump withdrew troops from Syria, which was going to expose a huge problem for the Kurds? He was withdrawing something on the order of four to 500 troops. The media went nuts. I'll read you some headlines. Trump just created a moral and strategic disaster. Does Donald, Trump, does Donald Trump know what a policy in Syria should be? 
is Trump betraying the Kurds? How do we put out Trump's Syria fire? Did Trump just backstab our Kurdish allies for Turkey? Kurds' feelings of betrayal by the U.S. and Donald Trump. Trump's abrupt shift in the Middle East unnerves U.S. allies. On and on. I, you, you, you take the point and, and, and the exercise here. On and on about Trump taking out 400 troops from Syria, a place most Americans didn't even realize we had troops. Those were the criticisms. Those were the criticisms. Is Joe Biden going to face the same for Saigon 2.0? And that's exactly what it's looking like. When you have to send in more troops than exist to evacuate the ones that exist safely, what are you evacuating them from? Allies? Are you evacuating them from safety? Or are you recognizing that you have made a huge, catastrophic mess and you now have to do everything it takes to save American and allied lives, even though no Americans up until now had been killed in Afghanistan? I want you to think about that, and I want you to think about what Saigon meant, despite that a lot of young people don't know what it means. It meant humiliation for the United States. It meant danger to our allies. And it meant the Soviet Union taking over 10 countries, 10 countries, because it thought it could, and it thought it could, because it knew it could. Jimmy Carter famously, when he was elected, said we need to get over our inordinate fear of communism. I believe he said that at Notre Dame. We have to get over our inordinate fear of communism. Well, he was wrong then, and I think the world is still obviously a very dangerous place. I think what the Democrats have to get over is something truly inordinate, and it's a fear of common sense. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I'm going to talk about the border at the top of the next hour with Mark Krikorian for the Center for, uh, of the Center for, for Immigration Studies. I think he is the nation's expert on all things immigration. I don't know if anyone knows more than he does. The, um, the New York Times headline is the U.S. asks the Taliban – to stand down. That's what we're doing now. That is what our defense and foreign policy is with one of the toughest, most Islamist entities in the world. We're just asking them. We know now that Joe Biden was opposed to the mission that killed bin Laden. He was wrong about that. He was wrong about the nuclear freeze. You know, his record on Iraq is exactly upside down. He um, voted against the first Gulf War. Can you believe it? The first Gulf War, you know, 1991. He voted against it. That was the war that we stunningly won. He voted for the current or the more recent Iraq War in 2002, the one that is so problematic. I don't know that he has gotten a single serious foreign policy decision 
right. It's interesting that in his speech yesterday and in his speech a month ago, that President Biden said, we did what we want to do in Afghanistan, which was to disrupt the terrorist entities, kill bin Laden. There was a third thing, as I mentioned yesterday, and it was to stop the Taliban. And you can see this in every speech about the AUMF or from George Bush, president of the United States at the time. It's interesting that Joe Biden ignores talk about the Taliban as an original goal because they're back. Imagine asking them to stand down. The Wall Street Journal reports some of those fleeing the violence as more provincial capitals fall have ended up in Kabul, which is now surrounded by the Taliban. One badly injured woman named Wazir Nazari, a member of Afghanistan's Hazara minority, lay motionless on her side on a thin mattress on the roof of a house in the western part of the capital. Her father, Abdul Razak Razay, said she had been shot in the head by Taliban fighters going door to door in their village in the Malistan district. Villages said it was unclear what they were after other than women. Remember all those efforts, NGO, nonprofit, individuals of goodwill, to save the women of Afghanistan, to get them educated, to get them in schools, to get female teachers? In 60 days, that will all be obliterated. All that work, gone. 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 Thank Joe Biden. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 